0: Welcome to Into the Well. I'm your host, Ryan Wilms. I started this show as a place to share my experiences and my journey towards living authentically and mindfully, and also to learn from those who are truly walking the path, healing themselves and inspiring others. By balancing the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, we can learn to live in harmony with ourselves and our environment. We'll be exploring different tools and modalities used to create sustainable well-being for a fulfilling life. So thank you for joining me. On this episode of the podcast, I sit down with Ben Goreski, who I met through the Samurai Brotherhood, which is the men's group organization that I'm a part of myself. He's one of the leaders of the the Samurai Brotherhood, and captains a couple groups within the organization has been doing this work for six, seven years now. He also has his own platform called The Evolving Man, where he has a podcast with many great guests. And just recently released a intro to men's work online course called the integrated men we get a chance to dive in on all things men's work creating conscious love in couples and plant medicines and what to do to prepare for ceremonies and how to navigate some of those experiences as well it's a great conversation with somebody who's bringing a lot of light to the world and i hope you enjoy it as much as i did thanks All right. So first off, Ben, just want to say thanks for your time and thanks for doing what you do and excited to connect and and dig in with you here.
1: Thanks, Ryan, for having me on. I'm I'm stoked to be here and and, um, I'm stoked to have this conversation with you.
0: Yeah, likewise. So I guess just for some context for for both me and the listeners, because we don't really know each other that well. Um, You know, Where did you grow up? A little bit of that sort of backstory if possible? Uh, what was life like before The Evolving Man came to be?
1: <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, so I'm 37 and I, I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. The, the prairies on the edge of the mountains. We could see the mountains from our, from our home. My dad was a doctor. My mom was a respiratory therapist. I had two older brothers. Uh, one brother was like much, much older than me, like 10 years older. So I, he wasn't a big part of my life. Um, growing up in Calgary, it was interesting because like we were a middle-class family, upper, upper middle-class family and, you know, financially things were were fine. And, uh, you know, we had a hot tub in the backyard and we lived in a nice house and my dad was always working, often working, you know, uh, as doctors often do, they work long hours. He was in a hospital working in a hospital. So he wasn't like a GP and, um my mom was on and off with work so there was a lot of like away time for for the parents and uh nannies filling in mm-hmm. um and you know on the outside everything looked great but on the inside what i what i now know after years of processing my childhood is that i had parents who were traumatized abused and didn't know how to deal with their emotions they didn't know right. like they could manage their own life pretty you know, normally, but, um, it, you know, my brother and I coming through my mother, very emotional young men, uh, my brother, particularly my parents had no idea how to deal with, with him. Mm. And th- that generation really just turned to professionals, doctors to try to fix their kids. And, right. uh, so as a result, you know, by the time b- both me and my brother were in our teens, we were both, um, in and out of different institutions, special schools. We were both on medication for ADD. We had been kicked out of schools, put in other schools. Uh, my brother had been to jail a couple of times. He was, he'd been going to group homes, getting kicked out of the house. There was fights in the home. Um, there was a lot of fighting happening in the house. Um, mostly non-physical, but a lot of like verbal abuse for my brother. Was, he was like very, It's was like, it, it, you know, looking back, it's almost like everything my parents tried made him worse. And and I know that they were like, "What are we doing wrong?" Like we're asking all the people what we should be doing with this guy, and they're all giving us these solutions, and it's not working. Hmm. And so I, my brother and I, even though he's three years older than me, we ended up in rehab at the same time, around the same time. He went in before me. I was using drugs and uh, alcohol, and uh, as much as I could get my hands on, basically. And then I ended up in there um at the same time as him and um he got kicked out he did he was not progressing he got kicked out and I stayed and finished the program and did like a year and a year and a month in rehab oh. when I was 16 years old in Calgary wow and you know had a, a spiritual breakdown breakthrough and sort of a rebuild of my life when I was in there, learning how to deal with my emotions, learning how to live life on life's terms and how to take responsibility for myself and, hmm. and how to live clean and sober as well. Um, and from there, I, I still have plenty of struggles. <laughs> I still had a lot of growing up to do, but I did get a, a good foundation there of support, community support. I had my first contact with um, like men's circles uh right. sitting sitting in a circle with other, I mean, at that point we're kind of like man boys. We were sort you're in between man's world and boys' world, teens. So, but we were we were going deep whenever we did the these these guys rap as they were called, you know, mm-hmm. guys raps. Um, there was often the you know, if we started talking about our dads, oh damn, tears are <laughs> common, you know, or if we start talking about our sex shame, this shameful yeah. stuff, uh, in that sort of confidential container, it got it got really intense, man. Um, but I felt the healing power of that there. And, uh, and basically from there, when I got out of rehab, I, I went back and finished high school. I had to do an extra couple semesters to catch up and, and really actually get to the point where I could graduate. I I went back and worked at that rehab and became a peer counselor and discovered, oh, I like actually helping people. I like counseling. Mm. And after, uh, a few years of sort of part-time school and full-time working at the rehab center. I went to university and did a, a counseling degree um, in addictions, addictions counseling. It was a bachelor mm. of health sciences and uh, learned a lot there. And then uh, went off and worked at a, a rehab camp out in the wilderness and learned about experiential therapy and how to apply experiential therapy to guys dealing with addiction. So we had, we'd have like 10 clients at a time in this camp for 90 days And we would put them through a series of challenges and they were, you know, they were adults, they're 18 to 25. So they were, they would direct their own treatment, but we would challenge them to do so in a, in a good way, in a way that was like actually, you know, useful for them. Each, Each guy's working on something different, you know, and learned how to use the wild and, and to tap into the, a man's animal brain on trail and, and, and reshape how he responds to life and, and to his, his own mind, you know, when he's under stress or when he's hungry Mm -hmm. or when he's cold when he's tired. Um, and I learned a lot there and and eventually I basically, I made my way out to Vancouver. I worked at a couple other places and, um, and after 15 years of working in addiction in, in or around addiction, I took time off. Uh, and I, I just went and did something totally different. I, 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 worked in construction high-end home construction glass with a buddy for like three years, learned how to do that really well. You know, Mm. all my grade eight, grade nine math came back to me and I learned, you know, geometry and and I, and and I was working with my hands and I really enjoyed doing that. But I knew that I eventually, when I joined my first men's group, I had, I had at that point created a, a business that was based off the back of Airbnb. And those guys, lit me up and we're like, yo, you got to do more than just this Airbnb business, man. Like you need to be coaching and counseling. Like, this is your, this is your calling. You have to do this. Mm -hmm. And I had already been throwing around the name evolving man, which was, I believe my wife's brainchild. Mm -hmm. Um, she was building rising woman at the time. That's a pretty good pair. So, and I was like, yeah, I do kind of like that. I like that. So it sort of grew on me and I, and I, I, it, I would not have created my personal brand without my men's group grilling me to do so. And my podcast wouldn't exist without them grilling me to do so. And you, you might even relate to that. Um, and so the, sort of the rest is history. That was, that was about six years ago. And, um, and now I, yeah, now I, I just work, I work for myself. I work with the clients I want to work with and I mostly work with, uh, addiction men's work and relationships. And I, I generally work with men. I take the odd um, woman client, um, but uh, I really love working with men.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, I mean, such an interesting journey, especially to go through that sort of childhood and teenage landscape. And it sounds like that rehab was kind of like a rite of passage in a way for you transitioning into, you know, more of a responsible, you know, adult, -adult. semi-adult.
1: Yeah, it totally was. And, you know, I am lucky in many ways, uh, because of that place. I'm I'm lucky that, um, even though it was tough and that place is not perfect, you know, there, Mm -hmm. I have many criticisms of that, that place. It's, you know, any sort of institution that's, that's that sort of insular becomes kind of culty in some of the ways that it is, you know, and there's a lot of group think that happens and people following each other, you know, like not listening to their own intuition, things like that. Mm -hmm. But But I I was lucky that I had this, one of the things they do really well there is they, all the counselors basically have been through that place. They've been through treatment. And so they know what it's like to be sitting where you're sitting and they've got their shit together and Mm -hmm. you look at them and you're like, wow, I actually look up to you. Like you are happy. You're living a good life. You're a good person. You are helping others and you've recovered from your addiction. You're no longer a slave to, to this. And, and they guide you, you know, um, via their experience, not mm-hmm. via telling you what the research shows or like, or just, you know, typical um, therapy, just like only asking questions, you know, like right. they kind mm-hmm. of lead the way a little bit. Um, and some of, you know, some of the methods can be coercive, but it was really tough. Mm-hmm. I had to abandon so much of what I thought about the myself and the world. I had to drop my ego. I had to humble myself. Yeah. I had to realize that I was super lost and I had to admit that in front of a group of people. Like I I had to break down and just like surrender to the fact that like everything that I was carrying was basically an act mm-hmm. and that I didn't know who I was and I didn't know how to get the help that I needed and that I was really hurting. Mm-hmm. And um, from there I was able to sort you know, they helped me build up, but that you're right. It's a, like a rite of passage. Like a lot of young men don't have an opportunity like that. They just kind of drift into adulthood. They're never really like, they never really have that breakdown so that they can have a real build up like okay let's build mm-hmm. you up as a man now you know mm-hmm. and you end up 25 years old like just sort of you've drifted into that space and you're like am i a grown up now like yeah I'm or 40. 35 <laughs> or
0: 45
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah right we have a lot of like men fe- walking around feeling like boys and acting like boys mm-hmm. right yeah yeah
0: I wonder, you know, with all the hindsight and processing that you've done, you know, as a as a child before going to that rehab and going through that transition, do you see what some of those wounds were and what some of those kind of core foundational pieces were that drove you to addiction? Like was it a yeah. neglect of love or a lack of connection or you know, I'm curious to know a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I think there was there's um a few things I, I, you know, each family member had a part to play. And, you know, six years ago, I probably would have told you it was all my brother. Hmm. I would have said, you know, my brother was like a real terrorist. He was really hard to be around. Uh, was, he always had a problem. It seemed like, you know, and he made it very loud that he had a problem. It was very apparent and, and nobody knew how to give him what he wanted basically. Um, or he wanted more than was what he should be getting, you know, like Mm. always wanted what was mine or like wanted the attention that was mine from my parents, uh, or resented me just for getting attention from them. Um, and so I, you know, I bore the, the brunt of his anger. And, um, so for me, I experienced a lot of like that kind of like emotional abuse from him. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, even if, to him, it didn't seem like it was that intense. He was three years older than me, bigger, stronger, more dominant. And so, you know, it, I don't know if you have an older sibling, but things when they're coming from older siblings can feel even just a slap in the back of the head can feel like a big deal when you're smaller, you know. And so i was always smaller. <laughs> mm. Um, you never really catch up till you're an adult. And and that's when we had our first fist fight when I was when I was 21. And that basically ended our relationship. Um the the very thin relationship that we did have. So things were tough with my brother and that was a big part of it. Um, But I also, my mother was really traumatized. Her father beat her badly when she was a kid in front of her mother and her brother. Nobody ever did anything. And she was, you know, emotionally abandoned by her family basically and abused by the man who was supposed to be keeping her safe. And uh, she's a contrarian. and, And so she would almost like, just that personality in itself sort of laughs in the face of authority that's trying to crack down on it. And so she, she got beat up a lot by her controlling father who wanted her to just step into line and she refused, you know? And so when she's an adult and she's pregnant with me, she's emotionally cut off, very unhealed, uh, has hadn't done any work to process that trauma and was cold, like emotionally cold. Just, and, and disconnected, like didn't know how to feel her feelings and like Mm. didn't know how to recognize feelings in her kids and then hold space for those feelings and let them be. And so, you know, in utero as an infant and as a a young kid, I didn't have a mother who knew how to be emotionally present for me. And my brother needed it more than I did. And he didn't get it either. He just got pills pushed into him. Right. And uh, my, my, my parents were doing the best they could with mm-hmm. th- what was available to them. But this is the result of intergenerational trauma. You know, uh, my grandparents were around f- for the war, you know, so tough time. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, just struggling to survive. Right. The whole society is. So anyhow, you know, an emotionally traumatized and out of tune mother, a brother who's like rageful and, you know, just angry, resentful at the world and the family for not giving him what he truly needs, which is probably love recognition, space holding for his emotions, teaching him how to like emotionally self-regulate, you know, and a father who was distant, uh, and avoidant. He, my dad's a conflict avoidant. He's a nice guy. And his work was very purposeful. Like he was saving kids' lives and like, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, um, in the operating room all the time. So the, 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 the man was very involved with his work, and it you know it was noble, good work. Uh, and so there's all of this going on at home, and he's off at work a lot. And so all of those things in combination, I think really contributed to my feeling of being super lonely, disconnected in the world, not really feeling like I have a place. Mm-hmm. And um, also, there was this like um it was like my brother resented any me getting any energy or, or attention. so I would act out at school when my brother wasn't around and I would just get attention, attention, attention. I loved it. And I got kicked out of lots of schools for just like disruption, Mm. but as it manifested when I was older as never feeling like I could fully just be myself around people. Like I I can't be fully self-expressed because I don't deserve the attention. And Mm. so this, this was the resistance that my men's group was like grilling me over. They were like, dude, why are you hiding? Why are you hiding from the world? Like you have great things to say, You have a good perspective. You're, you speak well Mm -hmm. here in this circle. Why aren't you starting that podcast or you know starting your practice? What's holding you back? You know, and and when I dug deep, I was like, oh, there's this like feeling that like I'm not ready, or maybe I'll never be ready, and and I'm not worthy of of speaking and standing up in front of a crowd and and just like being myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I should be ashamed and I should walk off stage and let someone better come. And that was kind of like it's definitely a reflection of what my childhood was like. Right. Yeah. So it was all those things.
0: Yeah. Well, it's quite a, quite a stew. <laughs> but yeah. And it's funny because I feel like, you know, from the outside, I'm sure lots of people looking in from your family and, uh, you know, it's like, oh, well, they're like, you know, doctors and they seem all together. And it's like, what's going on with these kids? And, and then as a, as a, Man of any age, young man, older man, you know, it can be sometimes challenging to be like, you know, put your trauma on there as well. Like you haven't gone to war or maybe maybe been sexually assaulted or, you know, some of these more extreme versions of trauma. Like I found with myself when I started diving in and like looking under the hood, you know, is like just being feeling like my own wounds were worthy to be shared. Can be, mm. can be challenging to step into that. And yeah, you know, also I like the, you know, the perspective of being the younger brother, like I'm an older brother and it's only in the last year and a half where I've realized, well, my younger brother's experience growing up was a hundred percent different than mine. He had this <laughs> other older person, uh-huh. like not a parent, but almost a parent, you know, like in that place, in his purview of everything he saw growing up in the world. Yeah. Whereas I just didn't have that at all. And just having more compassion for that experience and how different everyone's experiences has been interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, man. So, you know, we obviously talked briefly there about sort of all the boys in the 45-year-old men bodies wandering around <laughs> in our society and culture, which is really unfortunate. But we connected through Samurai Brotherhood and men's work And that's been a big part of your focus. So I'd love to dive into into that topic, into sort of the Brotherhood specifically, and sort of the other components of it, because I've been in the Brotherhood now for about a year and a half, it'll be two years in October. And I've heard about it for a couple of years before that uh, through John Hutter, who's been in it for even longer, and he just kept praising and praising how powerful and healing and connecting it is. And still, I didn't really know, you know, what happens in these groups, what is it about? And often still, when I bring it up, you know, there's there can be a stigma around like a bunch of men beating their chests and complaining about women or, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's all sorts of reactions that sometimes shock me, but also, you know, come from within my own family. Uh, and it's hard uh-huh. to sort of explain and describe. So I'd love to hear from your perspective with as much experience as you have sort of how would you describe men's work in general and then we we'll can kind of go into the brotherhood
1: yeah um for sure people have their their preconceptions about what happens when men get together you know you picture like soccer goons or mm-hmm. <laughs> or dudes guys in pubs or gangs of of men but that's just one side of men getting together. There's also the guys who are playing the soccer games, who are training and working hard and and working on how to be a really solid team, like at their edge, you know? And, uh, you know, so there's, there's that side and men, men can get together and try to be better men. They can, Mm -hmm. and women can do the same. Women can get together and sit around and just complain about the world and collude with each other. And, uh, essentially, you know, just not solve any problems and just make <laughs> make everything worse. Uh, and men can do, the, do that as well, you know? And so men's work is really about men getting together, sit together and talk about and do the work that is required to become better men. And that's different for everybody. Every guy comes wanting to work on something different and needing to work on something. New. So sometimes you come wanting to work on, uh, you know, your professional life. And you realize that actually more what you need to work on is, is your relationships, um, or that, you know, the path to resolving the issues that are in your professional life is, is ego deflation. You need to drop your, your pride, uh, that that's, what's, you know, behind your issues in your professional life, but men's work, I describe it a number of different ways, but really it's inner work for men. And, uh, in another way, it's, it's men coming together to give each other what we've always needed from the masculine, right. And which is like recognition, uh, acknowledgement and safe, safe space to exist,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, a safe space to express your truth. And, uh, like challenge, a loving challenge. Uh, there's something about men that they, one of the ways that we communicate with each other is we challenge each other. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the ways that we like to play. And like, you know, for a lot of guys, you know, you ask like, what's, how do you grow? You do something hard, whether it's, you know, in the gym or in in your professional life, you stretch yourself, you set some goals and you go after them guys really love that shit. And mm-hmm. it's, it seems to be one of the sort of the basis of one of the ways that we communicate. And we're not always taught how to do that properly. And challenge that comes from men can often feel like criticism or like a put down or, you know, why, why didn't you get an A plus when you got an A, right? It's like, mm-hmm. That's sort of the classic one. Like, wow, I feel like uh, that really hurt. You know, <laughs> I was not acknowledged there. Uh, that's the masculine attempting to challenge and to grow, to, you know, create growth, but it's, it's not landing (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we can, we can do that. We, we, we compete. There's, there's a, a noble, a good way to compete. And there's, uh, there's a way to compete where you're just competing to destroy, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of the dark side of it. So, um, challenge, healthy challenge is also an element of any good uh, men's group. And that often comes through accountability to your word, like do what you say. We're going to hold you accountable to do that, uh, or set some goals for your life. And we're going to hold you accountable to, to achieving those things. Um, so that's my long explanation of of what I think men's work is.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, one of the pieces that really resonated with me there is, you know, you talked about it before, not feeling safe to express yourself authentically and fully. And it's Terrifying essentially to do that in the real world, quote unquote. And so to have this kind of space where you can do that, and it doesn't usually happen on day one, you know, it takes weeks and months to be able to feel still seen and held enough, but to have a space where you can cry your eyes out with sadness and you can unleash rage and anger and you can be direct and you know, have this space where it's healthy, encouraged, you're seen and held for all of those varieties of emotions and ways of being and expressing is just so rare, and yeah. so having that to me has just been an absolutely beautiful thing. And I think you know, when it comes to our culture and the way that things have sort of gone for better or for worse, you know, it's just like we have been you know men and women have been massively suppressed and the feminine like especially i think has been mm-hmm. suppressed you know in women but also in men and to have a place for that to be encouraged and welcomed and greeted with a hug you know is has been so healing for myself and for other people i wonder like what your sort of experience and the perspective on that is
1: yeah you know the a great way to illustrate this for people is the situation where you're sitting with someone and they're talking about something that's going on in their life, and they start to have some feelings. Some tears come up. They choke a little bit. Their face turns red, and they say they look down at the ground. They say, "I'm sorry," like they're they're apologizing for having feelings, mm. and they're looking away. They look. I need to avoid eye contact. I'm sorry. I, I I'm sorry for feeling this. And it's always a interesting moment for me because i'm like seeing how deep this programming is that, that we all have that it's not okay to feel it's mm-hmm. it's you're placing a burden on someone if you're if you feel if you let your feelings out so the the dominant culture is stuff your feelings don't feel them don't get them witnessed by anyone hide them mm-hmm. you know and it's not it's not okay and so Yeah, one of the things that we're doing in these circles is we're saying like, uh, when from when I'm around, if anyone says like I'm sorry, I'm like, no, hey, please don't apologize for feeling what you're feeling. Just please, just feel it right now. You're actually giving us a gift. I'm feeling Mm -hmm. what you're feeling. This is something that's come to visit. You know, sadness has come to visit us right now. Let's welcome that in. It's like it's an entity that has come into the space. Let's greet it and see what it has to say. And like, could you, are you willing to look up and be witnessed in your feeling right now by us? And that's so contrary to, <laughs> it's, it's very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might even be uncomfortable for the people in the circle, you know, cause we're reprogramming this, this, this thing that we've all, we're all carrying that it's not okay to feel, but, uh, inevitably what happens is, um, Person feels relieved afterwards. They feel lighter. They feel more connected to themselves Mm -hmm. and to the other people that are that bore witness to that. And basically, everybody feels better after that. You know, we've all carried a piece of that and and mirrored what's going on for the person. We've all and it's you know, I I almost say that you know we've each taken a piece of that burden. This was like, this person was carrying something and then they just like passed it on to everybody. But that's actually a gift. Those to have a burden in life is a gift to not have anything to carry in this life where, you know, you're born with nothing and you die with nothing. If you don't carry anything in between that, you really have a meaningless existence. Mm -hmm. You know, like Jordan Peterson says, like, pick, pick up something, take on a responsibility in your life. Mm and Humans are relational beings, and so it only follows that we would take on this or that, you know, for, for our fellows. But it's funny because we like take on the wrong stuff, right? We take on like, oh yeah, I have to buy a gift for a person for their birthday, or I have to do all of these things to impress everybody.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: No, but meanwhile, we don't have the language of emotions where we can't hold emotions for each other because none of us were taught. But that's the big, the highest value. Mm -hmm. That we could offer to someone is to bear witness to their deepest feeling and, and not run away and, and like be there like, yeah, let me hold some of that grief with you, or let me hold some of that, whatever. Uh, so that's, that's the language kind of that we're, we're teaching. It's, it's like, it's not an English language. It's it's the language of emotions, the language of like being with each other Mm -hmm. through, through feeling and through whatever's passing through holding space, they call it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, it's a, there's, it's a tremendous value and that it's amazing that that filters out into the everything else in your life, filters out into your family life, your professional life, everything you do, you know, and it reduces your stress. Like this, I, this is why I'm like, every man needs the men's group.
2: Yeah. Because
1: we like our generation needs to learn how to feel and, and I, and And more than just feel like my men's group is not just like we're not just talking about feelings the whole time we we touch on them every once in a while. It's just a part of it, but it's about being relational and and sharing our truth with people and reflecting that truth back at people and and like just having a depth of connection with other men that is not possible uh, in most scenarios most places that, 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 that because if the purpose is not depth, you're going to get sort of what's the, the societal standard. You're going to get the default. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to have like an intentional space where people can come in and they're like, okay, we're here for depth. We're not going yeah. to talk about like all the details of what's happening in your life. We want to know what's really up, what's really going on. What's important right now for you, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Yeah, I think that that conscious intention is so important and one of the most powerful things of the men's group and it goes back to like what you're talking about with what you're going to carry, you know. We have so many like unconscious things that we're carrying that aren't helping anybody. But if we <laughs> yeah. can consciously carry, you know, emotion and consciously pick up that responsibility, you know, that's when we grow and expand and you know that's why we're here really. Yeah. But I think um you know, you, you touched on it briefly and it's like, okay, cool. Like a bunch of men, like sharing their feelings and that's healing and that's good. But, you know, for a man to experience that and learn that process and then be able to take that to his partner and take that to his children. And then they're going to learn how to sit with emotions and feel them and talk about them. And then they're going to share that with their children. Like ultimately that's so exciting to me. And a big part of the inspiration for me to do this work is, is for the future and for, for the, you know, the children that can learn a different way.
1: Yeah. Like, man, sometimes I have to remember where we come from, where we're at, you know, like our parents' generation, a hundred percent of them were taught that the right way to raise a baby is that when they're crying at night, you just leave them in the crib. You just let them cry it out. You know, they might think they're dying. Or that you're never coming back, that they've <laughs> been abandoned by the only entity that 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 they ever have been attached to, like God, mm-hmm. they're being abandoned by God, they might think that and and they'll they're gonna cry themselves until they pass out from exhaustion, and that that's how you do it that's how you raise a baby, you know uh you teach them how to like the world's a cold, dead place where you get abandoned all the time, so yeah, uh, cry it out, kid this this was norm, the norm. And that that's, I grew up in it crying it out in a crib. You probably did. And you know, the parents that didn't do that were very rare. You know, when I peed the bed, I got a cold shower. I got, I, if I reported, I peed the bed, they would take me into the bathroom and they would turn on the cold water and give me a cold shower. And I'd be screaming and crying. Mm. And that was, that was just like, I, I don't think my parents liked doing that. My dad is not a bad guy. My mom's not a bad lady. But that, that was just like, you got to train it out of them. You got to, you got to hurt yeah. them. You got to punish them so that the body stops peeing in the bed. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's looking back at that now, I'm like, wow, that was just, you know, 30 years ago. And now we're turning a corner where parents are like, wait a minute. <laughs> should we really be doing like, should we be really like severing the attachment from a child, like in before age one, you know, <laughs> yeah. like maybe we should just like nurture the the baby and, and like give it everything it needs for a while. And then eventually <laughs> it will differentiate on its own and, and become fully self-expressed on its own without us, like having to like harm it over and over again, essentially through neglect. Yeah. So I am excited that I really feel like our generation, Ryan is the who knows what the next generation is going to do. I'm they're going to, they're (laughs) going to deal with an issue that we can't even see now, or that we're just seeing the beginnings of. But like, I really feel like our generation is like the one to really start healing the emotional wounding and the trauma that has been passed down through generations from our parents and their parents. And, um, men's work is part of that. It's, it's, it's not therapy. I, I haven't seen many men's groups that advertise themselves as, as therapy, but it's therapeutic it is a therapeutic outcome. There's massive healing that happens just by sitting with men in, a, in an authentic way and, and being seen and, and learning how to see another man and speak your truth and hear his truth. And, and that's, that's magic really. Um, and you don't need a therapist to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. It's, it's not therapy, but, you know, arguably you can get a lot more benefit of it because it's, it's very much, it's very functional in a way, you know, you can learn insights intellectually, but the men's group provides a space to put them into practice. You know, you can say that truth or be direct with somebody, which might be the most scary thing for you in the world. And you won't be, you know, obliviated and you won't be, you know, rejected. It'll be, you know, welcomed. And it's like, oh, okay, I can do this and it's safe. Now I can go do this and my work, or at home, and and all of those things, and you know, I think the other thing that's so powerful that you also hinted at with the the group component is how much healing can happen from witnessing somebody else's healing. You know, from witnessing that other person open up and you know grow and expand. It's it's hard to describe without having had the experience of it, um, but it's it's really interesting and the other part of the group i find is just you know there's it's so isolating in our world let alone the last year and a half but to have the experience of like oh i'm not alone like the other nine of the 10 guys are dealing with the same thing in their own version or their own you know mind is going off in this way or they have this doubt or they have, they carry this shame like we all are carrying so much of the same fundamental stuff And to be able to know that and feel that and share that is, is really profound.
1: Yep. Yeah. If somebody wants to get, if you want to get a really one, two punch, uh, initiation into seeing what, what men's work can be at its, maybe at its deepest level, um, at least at its most intense level, um, watch this movie called the work, the work. I believe it's still on YouTube. You will have to pay to see it, and trust me, you won't regret paying to see it it's uh They bring this program to prisons and and I, I believe this was at Folsom prison and uh, they bring in guys who have been through the program previously and they bring in outsiders guys, like regular guys from society. they just sign up to go, and then a whole bunch of inmates who are on who are all serving life sentences um, and they split all the guys up. And so, you know, as you will have regular citizens sitting in circle with these life life or prisoners and then group leaders and the group leaders are usually guys who have done the program multiple times. And there's like a hundred guys in this room with no windows. And, uh, they spend, I think they spend three days going deep in into the work and sitting in circle, talking about their deepest wounds, having cathartic moments, and getting physical, you know, like men really, they, they need to feel to get physical from time to time. And, and so you get guys, like when they're starting to feel to push, push into someone, they lean into someone and push and feel that feeling. And guys kind of need to like get their whole body into something so that it can, so that the emotion can like move right into their, into their whole body. And even I forget this as a leader from time to time, like (laughs) I just, I'm like talking stuff out with guys, but really they need to be up and, and moving it somehow. but this film will have you in tears like multiple, multiple times. It will have your heart racing, uh, and you'll see the depth that men can actually go to when they're invited there and when they're provided the space. Hmm. It will it it will break through paradigms of of what you think is going on in prisons. I mean, there's there's <laughs> the standard, and then there's this, and you're like, oh my god, this is like a shining light, and that's what. That that's a shining light in the in the prison system, but men's work, men's circles, that the type of work that you and I are talking about, that is a shining light in men, mm-hmm. like the issues of men and like you know the patriarchy and mm-hmm. uh, all of the the shit that men have dumped on women and on society and on each other and on themselves for for many many decades. Men's work is the training. Out of that, like in men's work, you're building conscious men. You're building men who are focused more on a higher purpose, a holy grail, something they want to serve in the world. And how do I be in integrity? How do I live honestly and make my word good? You know, all all that stuff. Like, it really is the most low cost, infinitely scalable solution to all of the issues that we're saying that we've got with men. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think it is like the most bang for your buck. And that film is really good and really powerful. And I remember I was watching it actually right before going off for a a ayahuasca retreat. And uh, as my friend was kind of over and she was like, do all guys have problems with their dads? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, pretty much.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And like all women, firstly, all women have problems with their mom. Yeah you know
0: but um yeah and so i definitely highly recommend that film as well but i think is you know for some guys who are maybe listening and you know you can watch that and be like well you know i'm not i didn't murder anyone so maybe i don't mm-hmm. need that but like even on like the most like small scale like if you're feeling alone or a little bit lost at all right now in the world like look into this i would say you know like yep. check it out because yeah it can be you know, provide that that context, like you said, for for a deeper purpose, for serving, for integrity. Uh, you know, some of the most vital things to you know the healthy masculine archetype.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, like I, it, my simplest answer to people who would ask the question, "Why should I do men's work?" My answer is: There's more. There's more than this than what you have in life. If you're at all dissatisfied with where your life is at, with your connection with women or men or with your family or with yourself, spirit, if you're at all dissatisfied with any of that, Mm -hmm. or even with your own ability to just express and really feel like super stoked about life, Mm -hmm. there is more that's available to you. And this type of work is, is made to wake you up. It's made to wake up that part of you. That's a hundred percent alive. Just like living every day to the fullest. and super like grateful for existence, and just breathing in the air and just like really soaking up the, the gold in every yeah. moment. You know, it's, it's made for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, you know, this work has obviously been a passion of yours and you recently launched an online program called the integrated man. So I'm curious to hear a little bit more of sort of what, you know, inspired you to go and do that. Cause there's not really a much like that, that I'm aware of available online and, um, you know, why somebody might do that and what they might get out of it.
1: (laughs) It's part of why I did it, man. It's, it really is like, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, men's groups, but I've never started my own men's group organization because I've always been behind the samurai brotherhood. Like I've, I've, I've been in the brotherhood for seven years. And, and whenever I was like, okay, I'm creating my own personal brand. Maybe I should create a, a men's group. Like I know how this stuff works, et cetera. I was like, the, the I can't do that because this thing is right in front of me. I'm right here with it. And it's awesome. And it's also infinitely scalable and it's affordable. And I would literally be copying and pasting it. And so I just never did that. I was like, okay, we're just, I'm just going to get behind the samurai brotherhood, Mm -hmm. no financial benefit to me whatsoever for any member that joins, but in the go get in here, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, so with the course I do coach men and, um, I I want to give guys an introduction into men's work and there's basic stuff that I go over with guys and as that list of things started to grow I wanted to refer people to a program you know I would have easily uh if there was some other like intro to men's work or men's work 101 video mm-hmm. course that was really good um I would send guys there I did send guys to Jordan Peterson's programs from time to time like the self-authoring program and mm. um these sort of self-directed really affordable Things, and I still send guys there, but um, yeah, you're right. I couldn't find anything that was like a, a a really good intro into you know how does your relationship with your mother affect how you see women, and if you're mm-hmm. a straight man, you know how you sexualize women and, and see them romantically. How does your relationship with your father affect how you see men, masculinity, and thus yourself and your own manliness? right. And your own authority and power in the world. Um, how, how does the way that your, that relationships were modeled to you from your parents affect how you see relationships now and how you show up in relationships and how do you start to intervene in some of that programming with, with your mother, with your father, with your relationships. And, um, You know, what are some of the basics of um, some of like David data's work and Robert Glover's work? Like what's masculine and feminine? What are these energies are, do they exist? Are they a social construct? Should we care? Um, And, you know, how could we use these frameworks to our advantage to understand like, okay, so this is, this is this over here. This is this over here. Here's why polarity is useful. You know, here's the basic understanding of polarity. So I just did it. I, I finally got around to doing it, which is, you know, again, without an accountability group, I don't think I ever would have created a program, um, because there's a lot involved, you know, um, it's about 29 videos. I think I recorded for this thing, but uh, I've touched on a lot of what's in there, you know, the basic subject matter. Mm -hmm. And, um, one of the other pieces that's one of my favorite things is, um, the four masculine archetypes, the king, the warrior, the magician, the lover, and how there's sort of like immature versions and m- mature versions, and then there's shadow expressions of each of those. Shadow of the king, you know, the tyrant king, um, and so you know, in the shadow of the warrior is like a the 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 masochist who hurts himself, turns his fire inwards and hurts burns himself, or the sadist who like turns his fire outwards and is burning the world, you know. But the conscious warrior has. Fire inside of him, and he can use it when needed. You know, he may be a dangerous man, but he's not unstable. You know, um, so yeah, I, sh- I share all the stuff that I know about the King, the Warrior, the Magician, and the Lover in there as well, so that I can, so that men can just show up and do this course and and get that intro into Men's Work and and some of the philosophy and the stuff behind what brought Men's Work to be and, you know, do it all for less than the cost of a coaching session, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so for a lot of men like who come my way, they're on a budget. Um, I tell them like, Hey, the best bang for your buck is to join a men's group. Cause it's going to cost you like 70 to a hundred bucks a month, you know, less than a cell phone bill probably. Mm-hmm. And it'll change your life. And then they're like, what about extra materials? And then I send them like four or five books they should buy. But this course is that extra piece in between. It's like, okay, here's me. Like here's, if you like my energy, here's my perspective on all of these things on the mother yeah. on the father on the archetypes on relationships. And, and then I give, I just dump resources on guys at the end. Like, Hey, you want to work on relationships? Here's, uh, Here's all the people that I've learned from and here's why they're awesome. You want to learn mm-hmm. about men's men stuff. Here's all the people I've learned from, from, and here's why they're awesome. And Oh, if you want to do a course for relationships, I did a course with my wife. So here you go. There's that, you mm-hmm. know, so I I'm stoked now that like, I have a suite of things that I can point people towards yeah. because I really, I really just want, I want to get men into men's work and get them stoked on men's work as easily as possible. You know, yeah. I don't want to have to like sign each guy up for one-on-one coaching. <laughs> like that's a hundred people in a hundred sessions. That's a lot, you know, yeah. but, um, of course is like infinitely, uh, reachable. So, um, I'm really stoked to, to have created the integrated man. And, and the meaning of integrated for me is like, uh, you know, it's the result of all of this work, right. When you, When you dig around in all your dark crevices and, and discover more about yourself and you reclaim your shadows, you know, there's some shadow work in there as well. When you look at the shadow is like the part of yourself, you may have denied exists or you, you, you're it's, it's long gone. You know, like I've met guys who are like, I don't, I'm not angry. I don't have anger. If you, if you don't ever have anger and you don't think that it's in your system at all, you're missing it. It's there. And it's just, you've squeezed it into a tiny little box that's under maybe multiple padlocks and thrown away the key. But shadow work can help you unlock some of that. And it's not, you got to trust me, it's not going to kill you or kill anyone else when you unlock that box. It's actually going to empower you and it's going to give you back your own, a piece of something that is you. And you're going to actually feel more alive as a result of unlocking that box. And so There's invitations in men's work and in my program to like really sort of dig around and reclaim these parts of yourself that society may not may have told you weren't okay, or that your parents told you wasn't okay, or some kid in the schoolyard told you it wasn't okay for you to feel this or to have this as a part of you. And when we reclaim all of that, when we own it, we feel more ourselves. We feel more integrated, you know. And Mm -hmm. that's then result of personal growth work. Is that you, it's not that you become someone else after doing a bunch of personal growth work, you actually become more yourself and you, you learn how to love yourself more and uh sort of be like unabashedly yourself,
2: mm-hmm. you
0: know?
1: So that's, that's the the purpose of the program.
0: Yeah. That sounds great. And I, I, you know, the idea of, you know, what we're, what you're looking for is you, you know, and that we're coming <laughs> home to ourselves and mm-hmm. like, it's so, counterintuitive i feel like to pretty much everything else that we are pursuing or working towards you know it's this thing over there that we're going to get it yeah but yeah the idea of rewelcoming the parts of ourselves into the light and you know as a semi segue into another topic you know in in the plant medicine ceremonies for me it's been like you fi- finding those shadow pieces and bringing them back into my heart Mm-hmm. And it's like that, the heart is like the spiritual liver for processing the shadow back into like the light and, and reintegrating it. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's, you know, every time it's the, the, you feel lighter, you feel brighter, you feel more comfortable in your own skin, like all of those things. So yeah, yeah, congrats. And thank you for putting together the program. And, you know, I definitely, I'm sure I'll be sharing that around as well.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. I, I like what you said about the the dark and and you know working with plant medicines, you know, like that my teachers in plant medicine have said, like, listen, you need to like if you're just running from the dark all the time, you're not, it's not gonna go well. It's gonna come to, <laughs> like it's gonna get you, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And the way that you need to work, and this is the way that's that's taught in the jungle and in the native traditions, is you need to learn to meet the dark in the face. You need to look it in the eye. You have to, you have to meet your own darkness and sometimes you have to meet maybe some darkness. That's like not yours, but you know, accept that it may all be of your creation. Mm -hmm. And then you, you need to learn how to own that, accept it and, and sometimes dominate it. You need to learn to dominate your own darkness, your own space, your own mind. So that that's, that's how you build your own personal power. You don't build your own personal power by only focusing on the light, pretending the dark isn't there or a trying to just reject it because it, it will control you from behind. And you'll think there's this thing in, in plant medicine called false light that they talk about, you know, basically like if you're on a, a plant medicine journey and you're seeing all kinds of stuff and then you're starting, things are offering you things like, Hey, take this, have some of this, have some of this. I'm going to give you this gift. Like don't take that stuff is what I've been told because you don't know when you're being tricked. And this is the case in the, in the, the, world as well. Right. You know, I live in a pretty safe part of the world, but I've heard so many stories in certain places where like, you don't want to just like, like, here, come with me. Like, I'll take you to where you want to go. Boom. All of a sudden you're getting robbed. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that happens in the, in the, in the, in the, sort of that psychic space between, you know, earth realm and spirit realm in, in the plant medicine world, where you can be tricked by the darkness into thinking like, Oh, I'm all light, you know, like, so spiritual bypassing can, it doesn't just happen at the human level. It happens in the spirit world too, where it's like yeah. light, 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 light. But really you're actually like, you're being fed some like weird, um, veiled dark shit. And, uh, you know, this conversation took a weird turn because we brought up plant (laughs) medicine, but I like to weave that in from time to time because these principles that apply on our level, on this level of existence right now also apply in these other levels. And you just get to go learn the, the rules of the game at a different plane of existence, but it still applies. So, I mean, you got to look at the dark, you got to look at the shadow. You don't want to spend all day there. You don't, you yeah. know, like, I, I wouldn't do shadow work for my whole life, you know, uh, yeah. but you want to be able to drop into that place and, and, and know what it's like there and see those things and then learn to like own them, integrate them. And even in some cases dominate them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah that is true. And it's funny. Cause I don't ever think about that because my perspective is like, if you're going to do ayahuasca, you go and ask madre to teach you about your shame. And you're like, just straight into the darkest where's the darkest thing i'm ready for Mm -hmm. and like let's go because that's why we're here (laughs) you know and it's
1: uh and and that's why you're describing the light yeah you know like you just previously you were like oh but you know like ayahuasca is all this light it's because you're going in saying like okay let's do the work okay Mm -hmm. where's where's my deep shame you know Mm -hmm. where's my darkness what am i hiding from myself please show me And so then what you get on the other side of that is this like sweet, beautiful relief, you know? So like I just based on my amateur uh, participation in these things, like my gut says that you're, you're doing it exactly the right way. You're going in with that right attitude. And so what you're getting out of it is this, like, you know, this, uh, the freedom that that type of work offers.
0: Yeah. I feel that way. And I do feel, you know, I've been lucky to work with, you know, groups and teachers and shaman that have so much integrity and really carry the medicine in such a beautiful way. And there's a, you know, such a deep respect for it and the process and the ritual and the tradition. And I really do personally like take that to heart and and carry it with, you know, there can be lightness and humor in the process and in the journeys, but it's like with a sort of very deep seriousness and, um, and, and care that I definitely approach that work with. Uh, so it's, it's sort of like take a step back in terms of your journey. I'm curious to know, like, when did you first start working with plant medicines and and maybe ayahuasca specifically? And did you have any, you know, a lot of people that, uh, have gone through rehab and maybe gone sober, like have a hard time wrestling with, you know, working with with medicine like that, that, you know, some yep. people call a drug.
1: Yep. hundred percent. I had a lot of, I had a lot of trouble breaking through my conditioned resistance and the resistance of the people around me. Um, when I was thinking about engaging plant medicines, psychedelics, uh, particularly what was on my mind was psilocybin. And there was a part of me that was thinking about ayahuasca and I was about I'm going to say about 30. Um, I think I was in my 29th year and I had been going to AA for like 15 years and was, you know, super, super sober guy, uh, other than, you know, smoking and drinking lots of coffee and some of the other things that I was hanging on to. And, and I, I felt drawn and, I felt like, okay, there's something here for me. And I don't feel like I'm trying to escape. I don't feel like I'm like, I'm rationalizing, um, using as they call it. You're, you're mm-hmm. using, you know, you're using, you know, let's it, cause using is like a mentality. Like you're running from your problems mm-hmm. by, by using this thing, uh, somehow like uh tobacco, uh, coffee and video games and um, energy drinks are exempt from that. (laughs) They don't count as a relapse. Uh, When you're in AA, you can drink as much of those as you want. Uh, You might even have like a heart problem because of it, but you're not relapsed. But um, yeah, like I I felt drawn and and I was consulting friends and and the ones who were in AA or who were sober addicts were like, listen, man, don't do it. It's just, it's just not worth the risk. It's not good. I, I did, I had friends who were like, I did mushrooms when I was 17. I didn't get anything out of it. It was just kind of weird, you know? Um, and I'm like, well, then why am I hearing like these really intelligent arguments as to why, like, (laughs) it could be really like a, you know, transformational and connecting to spirit. And why am I reading these studies from Johns Hopkins? Like I, I, I was doing my research and, Mm. and then I started talking to friends who weren't in the program and weren't sober addicts and people who knew me really well. And they were like, listen, like, you're not, you're not going back, man. You're not going back to where you came from. You're not going to relapse. And I think you're safer than you think you are. You're more farther along than you think you are. You know, I think it's just your fear that's holding you back. Like you have intuition and I think you're feeling that right now. And so eventually those people and my inner voice convinced me and it took a year and a half or so.
2: Hmm.
1: And I, I had a friend who i asked to take me on a, a mushroom journey and we went out into nature and he took me and it was beautiful uh i had a really yeah it was like a spiritual ex- experience and i felt really connected to nature and to him and to myself and and to like god you know whatever god is and mm-hmm. um and so then that that started the the flow and from there like a lot of other doorways opened up including ayahuasca and things like LSD and but I still so that's that's like more than 7 years ago now and I've done a lot of journeys uh, with ayahuasca I've been to the jungle and I still don't drink alcohol I don't smoke cannabis and I don't put anything in my body that lowers consciousness that's my rule it's like if, if it's going to lower my consciousness and depress things at all if it's going to disconnect me from um from from not reality but like maybe from my heart, yeah. you know, I, I would probably consider ketamine therapy if I was super depressed. Cause I know that there's some, some results that can happen there, but I haven't done ketamine because I don't have depression and it's a dissociative and it, it sort of pulls your consciousness away from your body. And that's sort of on the the great in the gray zone for me. Right. Um, so I've not done that. I haven't drank alcohol. I don't, do cannabis? I did try touching back in on cannabis, but for me, this is the spirit of it didn't really feel clean and and um, consistent. It's very mm-hmm. inconsistent thing. Um, and so I have my own guide now, my own intuitive guide, and I still have to keep my eye on like, am I using something to escape, or am I using it because I want to wake up and and be more connected to self, others, God, uh, and that's my that's my guiding light.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's great. And, you know, ultimately, hopefully that's what everyone can create, but there's a lot of reconnection needed to be able to hear that voice and listen to it, trust it and and also, you know, have it be clear enough that it's not your ego or the shadow, you know, shape shifting and telling you something. Yeah. That is a, you know, very real thing. And you know, I think for me as well, like I never had a real problem with alcohol, but I, you know, basically just stopped drinking about three years ago. And, you know, I, the way I look at it is like, and I heard this actually spoken about on a podcast I listened to from old, like Ram Dass or Alan Watts talk where, you know, we exercise and create health. We eat healthy. We, you know, stay clean. It's like our body is our chief instrument and that this instrument is our tool for connection to love and God. So the cleaner it is, the more love and God we can experience. And it's like, well, if that's what I'm, you know, aiming to do, then I'm not going to put in these other things that are going to muddy up that signal and make that experience, you know, less clean and less enjoyable.
1: Yeah. Like alcohol is literally a poison. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and it's like socially sanctioned, like they're just serving poison at the restaurants, you know? <laughs> uh, and then we, when we get sufficiently poisoned, we're not allowed to drive and we have to take a cab home. Like it's just, <laughs> I mean, that's a good thing, but uh, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's always very perplexing to me looking at, at that. But at the same time, it's not because like you see how um, sort of blocked up we are in our society and, and, and mm-hmm. our inability to, to really connect with each other. Hmm. and um you know alcohol brings those walls down a little bit and that that holding back like oh, i'm going to just hold everything in here i'm just not going to feel anything i'm not going to express anything i'm just going to be Totally cool, you know. And you you have a few drinks, and all of a sudden you're not cool anymore. You're just like, whatever, man. I'm just gonna say whatever's on my mind now. And like, you know what? I love you, man. And like, I love this place. And oh, there's some anger coming up here. I'm angry, you know. That gets out of hand. But like, that's all the shit that's in there that we're not expressing. So in a way, I feel like on a superficial level, alcohol is one of the ways that our society does like really basic. Not therapy, but it's like a therapeutic thing. Like it's a catharsis. It's like it's a letting go of all the things that you've been holding, and because yeah. we don't know how to hold that for each other, because we don't have ritual or ceremony,
2: mm-hmm. for
1: the most part, where where we're holding space for each other's feelings, where we just get drunk together and just say whatever, and just like have that be the space where we can just express, yeah. you know, and then uh, not
0: remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Or well, and then you don't have to take responsibility for. Hey, yeah. Hey, I was drunk. Last, what I said last <laughs> night, it didn't. I, I didn't mean that. Yeah. I don't know. love you. <laughs> yeah. But you're free of it. Like it's like yeah. you, it came out, you know? So I think it's this little, it's this way that we trick ourselves into, mm-hmm. into letting, letting blowing off some of that steam that we're building up. We don't have the tools to blow off. So like, I'm not, I'm saying like, we can do better. <laughs> it's essentially <laughs> what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Again, I I feel like it comes into that sort of the conscious intention to like, okay, I want to, I've got some stuff in here. I want to get it out. You know, there's a healthy way to do that. Or if you're not even aware of that being the case, then you might go to something like alcohol or, or cannabis to, to do that. And yeah, not necessarily take responsibility or know what you're doing. even. So, you know, I think I get a lot of people asking me about plant medicines and maybe doing a ceremony or going to a retreat, something like that. I know you've shared different podcasts on the topic as well, but, you know, coming from that sort of uh, addiction background and just with the experience you have, you know, if somebody comes and says, you know, I think I might want to do that. You know, what are some of the guiding maybe principles or thoughts that you might share with somebody to help, you know? prepare them or make sure that they're asking themselves the right questions or they're getting themselves in the right sort of mental, emotional, spiritual space for Mm -hmm. something like that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good question. Um, I certainly don't think that they're for everyone. Like I, I definitely think men's work is for every man. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, But I, I don't think plant medicines are for everyone. Um, everybody has a different mental ecosystem and some people are a little more sensitive than others. I, I know people who, if they drink chocolate or co- or if they eat chocolate or, or drink coffee, their system is blasted. They're just thrown way out of off kilter. Right. And this is something the most, of the rest of the world is like, can't function without, <laughs> uh, I, I paired chocolate and coffee together. Cause those are my, it's <laughs> like, they go together for me. Um, but the first question really is like, are you serious? Like, do you, do you really want this? Um, or are you just curious? Cause if you're just curious, it's not good enough. Don't bother. Like try a bunch of other things first, you know, um, psilocybin before ayahuasca, in my opinion, um, it's a little bit more dosable, um, Mm -hmm. and everything else before, psilocybin and ayahuasca and LSD because you know um i think you need to get comfortable being in an altered state it, it it can really help but are you serious are you coming to this with a serious intention for for wanting to you know encounter some of the things that you've heard people encounter in plant medicine work do some of the work that people are there to do you know are you ready to do the work are you ready to see the darkness and the light You know, most people are ready to see the light, but are you ready to see the darkness? And yeah, so are you serious and are you ready? Right. And so ready really just means like, have you done sufficient exploring, talking about it for yourself, about your intentions, your reasons why talking to people who have done it. And, uh, if you really start to feel like you're ready, like, let's say you've, um, You've done some therapy in your life. So you've done some inner searching. You've maybe you've done some personal growth workshops. Maybe you've been a part of a men's group or a women's group. Cool. Have you tried anything that's like a more of an altered experience? Have you done Osho's dynamic meditation? Have you done uh, holotropic breath work? That's mm-hmm. a powerful experience. And it's totally free, essentially. And you could be driving home 15 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, try breath work, right? Yeah. And work through some of the hangups that that come up in breath work where your your resistance is showing up in your body. There's that's a very useful tool. And yeah, have you done low doses of other things in a therapeutic context, not at a party, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of been in a quiet space with yourself where you've had to face, you know, some darker part of yourself, the the judge, the inner judge, the inner jerk, you know, who's judging you. Um, or grief, you know, some of your grief that's coming up from your childhood or from losing someone or losing a cat or a dog or something, break up. You know, if you've done those things and you just want to keep going deeper and you have an appetite to keep going deeper and you're like, oh, I know I have these traumas. I'm ready to like, I'm ready to open up that box. Um, I want the healing that's there and I'm willing to do the work. Okay. You're ready. Then start preparing, you know? um, find out what it is that you're drawn to. Are you drawn to MDMA therapy because you want to do some trauma resolution and talk about your sexual abuse? Are you drawn to plant medicines because there's like more of a spirit thing there and, and shamanism and you're drawn to that and, um, you know, and figure out what it is and then figure out if you, if, if it does work for you, if you like, if you can do it, you know, are you on any medications? right? Uh, are you on SSRIs or SNRIs? You can't do ayahuasca if you're on those things. I don't know what the deal is with MDMA with those, but MDMA interacts. There are some things that interact with MDMA you don't want to be on. And with ayahuasca, same thing. It It can, you know, cause hypertension or a number of different issues. Um, do you have a history of mental illness? Have you been institutionalized for, for like psychosis, you know, right. and, and, and really sort of disconnected from reality or, or schizophrenia. Do you have bipolar in your family or schizophrenia in your family? You know, check those things because sometimes it's not worth the risk. It's, it's sometimes it's really not worth the risk to, to just like drop into one of these things when there's, there's thousands of tools out there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if, if you're prepared and you've done your research, um, then and you can, you know, talk to someone who holds these ceremonies so that they can ask you all the right questions. Then, yeah, find a, find a ceremony or find a facilitator. You know, um, there's MDMA therapists around and there's ayahuasca ceremonies everywhere. I know there's ayahuasca ceremonies happening like in the industrial district in London. <laughs> like right. it's kind of i look at those i'm like wow i don't know if i could do that man there's like 80 people in there and they're just <laughs> serving up ayahuasca and everybody's just like having their own experience and there's not much going on um but i would say find the person who has the most experience that you can find the the most connected to a lineage if possible you know mm-hmm. the, the lineage with ayahuasca is through a south american tradition um you know the shipibo's the there's a Brazilian tradition. There's a mestizo tradition in Peru. There's a Colombian tradition. My friend Alex um, is a part of and can, you know, connect to that. And if you want to do psilocybin ceremony, there's actually actually um, uh, a tradition uh, through Mexico that the name Mazatec, the Mazatec tradition, Mazateca um, where they've done that for a long time and use psilocybin as a sacrament. And, um, you know, obviously the lineage with MDMA goes back only a few years to when <laughs> it was synthesized, but there is a lineage starting and maps is mm-hmm. starting it right. Where they're like, "Okay, hey, here's what you do. You get a therapist, you do three to six sessions of therapy before you do the MDMA, MDMA. then you do three MDMA sessions separated yeah. by a month or something. And then you do follow-up sessions. Here's our protocol. That's their new lineage, you know, and,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and you know, all along the way, trusting your intuition, your gut about like, you know, is this person or this lineage, the best thing for me, you know, do I really feel like I could be safe mm-hmm. to puke or shit my pants or, uh, you know, totally lose myself in the presence of these people, because you all, you always come back and you're always going to be okay. in in these spaces, this is why those spaces are there. they are a safe space for you to go all the way, you know? But some spaces are less, they feel less safe to a person than others, right? And some spaces are more thrown together than others. And so you have to exercise your judgment and be like, okay, where would I want to go if I want to really be held by people? And um, you got to follow your gut in that respect.
0: Yeah, I think that's all really, really good advice for sure. And, you know, your notes about like breath work and holotopic breath work, you know, I think that is... A really good precursor to any sort of substances and experiencing that altered state and can be so so powerful and healing and um, you know can be good to do with a facilitator as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think for me, like by accident, having done holotropic breathwork and of a vipassana <laughs> before doing any ayahuasca, like those experiences and tools were just so profound. And helpful, and of course the the therapy piece as well. I feel like some version of that is is really kind of essential before going into sort of that sort of space. Because if you're navigating that all by yourself with no context and reference, and uh, you know, insight from outside of your own mind, <laughs> it can be quite challenging. Um, yeah. You know, you didn't really mention meditation specifically, but I wonder, you know, is that a foundational tool that you've used as well and recommend?
1: hundred percent. Yeah. I appreciate that you mentioned Vipassana because it's like, Vipassana is like the, uh, it's almost like a masterclass in meditation, right? Like you, you, I haven't done one yet and I'm scared. I will <laughs> do one eventually, but I'm like, oh geez. Like, cause it doesn't sound fun. It's not fun. <laughs> Um, but you know, for those who don't know, like you're basically spending seven to 10 days, just meditating, not talking to anybody. You don't get to look at your phone. You, you are just with yourself for meditating all day long. as long as you're awake, basically. And you confront, you know, you you sort of like eventually have purged all the crap that you are, you think about on a daily basis. And you start really sort of zeroing in on like your essential self consciousness. and um, it can be very uncomfortable and you have to learn to just sit with yourself and you might be uncomfortable in your body and you have to learn to just sit with that and building those tools. The more of that you have, the better when you're, when you're going into a psychedelic journey, because all of the things that your, your mind does, it's going to do when you're under the influence and it's going to try all of its tricks And so you're, and it's going to project those tricks out into the room. So like I might be feeling uncomfortable in my gut. And then I, I think it's like somebody else's thing instead of my own thing, or I'm scared. And then I start to freak out and I, and I start to project my fear outwards. And I'm like, oh my God, we're all scared. Something bad must actually be happening. Everyone's scared here. We're freaking out. (laughs) And then I go into a panic, right? Yeah. No, really what's happening is I'm having fear and, and I'm not sitting with that well, I'm, I'm, I'm allowing it to control me. Um, and there's, you know, that can happen with all the other emotions. I've had experiences where like, I'm, I'm sure that we are all seeing aliens. Like (laughs) I've had a number of those experiences and now I'm like, no, I know now it's just me having this experience and I get, I should just sit here and be in it, enjoy it for what it is. Um, And so, yeah, those tools of being able to sort of release, let go and not attach your mind to what's happening here and just be the witness as it flows by the light and the dark, you know, it's very, very helpful because you can feel like you're enveloped in it. Like you're washing down river and like you have no control, Uh, but that's because you've jumped in to the river. Like you really need to pull out a little bit and just be the observer. Don't accept any things that are offered to you. Uh, and, and just, just be there to be the conscious, Just be the Buddha, you know, as the world swirls around. And, um, you know, I'm not perfect at this. It's it's a practice. None of us are perfect at it. It's, it's just, it's a, a framework to work with, you know, that can be very helpful in regular life and in psychedelic experiences.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just hearing you talk about that a little bit just made me smile, like reminiscing on experiences in in the ceremony space, you know, where it's like, it can feel like you're in this place forever and it's the most crazy night. And, you know, the reality is there's, you know, 12 other people lying silently on a mat, not making a sound. (laughs) I think like completely different, you know, experiences and it's yeah it's quite magical but yeah it is you know it's just what we're going through amplified thousand ten (laughs) thousand who knows a lot of times right yeah Um, yeah
2: (laughs) totally
1: i i had this one experience where um i'm lucky that it was like later on like i had already done probably 50 ceremonies and i'm uh it the shaman is he calls you up at least in the tradition, I'm a part of, he calls you up to sit in front of him and then he sings to you. And so the song is like, it, it, you feel the song in your body. It it affects your visions. It affects everything that you're feeling. Sometimes you might, it might make you throw up. Like <laughs> it mm-hmm. might make you feel like you're having an orgasm. It's, it's, it's different every time. But I remember this one time when he was singing to me, I was just, there was just light like blasting into me and through me and out of me and just like, I felt like a generator, like a fusion generator, (laughs) just blasting light out. And I really felt this like, um, Christ energy. Like I really felt like I was being blessed by God. I'm not a religious guy, but I understand the archetype of Jesus Christ and that side of Christianity and, and at least the lighter side of God, who's this like bright white, almost yellowish golden ray of, you know, blessed uh, energy looking down, you know, and, and Christ being the sort of reflection of that from the earth up. And like, I was like, Oh, like my chest opened up and I just felt so lucky to be myself. I felt like I was being anointed or, or like, uh, I don't know if ordained is the right word, but it's like, uh, uh, knighted in front of the King or something, you know, I was like, Oh, me really? Me? Oh my God. And I was, I was like, this is amazing. And I just like, I just soaked it up and I enjoyed it. And, and I remember after that being like, okay, if I was like a little bit more, if my ego had grabbed onto this, I could easily be like, I'm Jesus. Yeah. I am <laughs> Jesus folks. I'm Jesus, you know, praise me. And, yeah. and and I was like, okay, like this experience was not, I'm not the only one to ever have that experience. Like the shaman was literally singing, Like Christ energy into my body. Like, that's why I was feeling that. He was like, he has that, you know, shamans have different tools. And he was bringing that tool and he Mm. was just like giving it to me. And I was like, oh, wow. And people have those experiences. People have those experiences without a shaman, sometimes just having like a manic episode and boom, you get Christ energy that comes in and you feel like you're God. And so, you know, then you go to a psych ward and half the people there think they're Jesus. And it's probably because a good number of them had a spiritual experience. And they this world doesn't have a framework for that. We're like, oh, gee, you're crazy. You know, so I just like, uh, the line between a spiritual experience and psychosis and, you know, quote, crazy is like, it's way thinner than most people think. They're yeah. not separate events all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just lucky that I... I have enough of a balanced mental chemistry that like I could come back from that and be like, okay, you're not Jesus buddy. You It's a, a Christ consciousness experience and that's cool. Enjoy that. Go talk about it on a podcast one day. So <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> I'm grateful for that. And I see how like how the mind can also grab onto those things and then just like run with it, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a great example of why it's so important to do those other things before you go have an experience with something like ayahuasca or something, right? And so you have that foundation to ground you when you come back. And yeah. no, yes, like everyone has that potential. You are God. Like that is in you and that light is in you, but it's everyone else. And you're not the only Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I think doing this work is amazing. And, you know, the Vipassana and the meditation practices and all of that is great. And ultimately, that all gets put to the test when you bring it to relationship and creating conscious love. So, I'm curious to know a little bit about, you know, your journey with your wife and the the program you created with her because. Yeah. I think, you know, all of this individual work is great. All of the group work is awesome. And it's just really like the ultimate test from my experience is, you know, that intimate relationship. How do you navigate that when it gets hard?
2: Yeah.
1: Was it Ram Dass that said like, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a weekend with your family. Yeah. And, you know, that also goes for a romantic relationship, I find, because eventually you be, it's like your family, you're living together, you see each other every day, you're always, always together, spending all your time together. So it's like all your family shit comes up with your romantic partner. And I feel like from what I've learned, like you're, we're almost like wired that way, you know? Uh, it's like, you know, there's some part of your mind that is conscious and is awake and, and like has free will. And the more you study humans, the more you, you, you see that, like a lot of what we do is unconscious and a lot of our romantic desires are unconscious. Like, why do you want this from your partner? You know, uh, just cause, cause that's what I want, you know, but why, you know, like, could we do some digging? And if you do some digging, you find out that need is, is, connected to some unmet need in childhood or some, you know, deep part of you. And it's just kind of running the show. It's just there. Right. Why do you, why are you attracted to the men or the women that you're attracted to? You know, it's totally automatic. It's totally automatic. Why do you like the type of sex that you like? Or the, you know, if you watch porn, like, why are you searching for that thing every time? I mm-hmm. don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, not conscious. That's for sure. <laughs> it's like, it's <laughs> buried in there. And um, one of the principles of, of conscious relationship in terms of like looking at where our issues stem from is, is that we're essentially, we are coming together partially to resolve our issues from childhood, resolve our issues with. So for me as a hetero man, getting together with a woman, you know, there's that unconscious part of me that's attracted to her body and it just likes her. I like her smell, you know, I want to have sex with her. And there's also a part of me that looks at her as the feminine and projects my mother onto her. And I want to resolve the things that are unresolved with my mother, with her, through her, through my relationship with her. And, um, You know, so for me, inevitably, it's something that's come up a lot in my relationships and in this current relationship is this idea of being controlled by a woman. I don't want to be controlled by a woman. And if I even start to get a sliver of an inkling that she might be trying to control me, I'm like, back off, lady, back off, you know? And she's like, whoa, I was just trying to make a decision about, you know, what bed sheets to buy. <laughs> you know, or like she like wants to have a sip of my water, my tap water that I'm drinking out of my cup. <laughs> and I'm like, get away from my water, you know? Because my brother always took my stuff when I was a kid. Right. And so here I am, like acting out my childhood wounds with my my partner, where I when really like the the noble part of me, the conscious part of me is like, well, your stuff is my stuff. I want you to be happy. I would never want you to go thirsty. So like, may I, I want to provide for you. But instead I'm like defensive over my cup of water. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's, like, that's typical stuff that actually comes up for all people in relationship. And it's connected to way back. And um, so when you ask yourself, like, why can't I do relationship right? Or why do my relationships keep failing? There's, there's no easy answer to that, but basically the the so just to normalize it all. We all struggle with relationships. It's the hardest environment. It's the biggest test, you know. And some people give up on relationships. They're like, I'm just going to focus on work, my body, my health, uh, optimization over there, and I'm going to stop trying with relationships because I, I give up, you know. And you've got trauma that plays out as well. So. So relationships are a really difficult testing ground for all of us. And, uh, we all tend to be pretty resistant to actually like doing work in that area to like, uh, to learn skills so that we can do better, (laughs) learn, like learn how to, for me, it's like learning how to relate to women better, how to, how to under, how to hold space more, how to relate to her in a way that she opens rather than closes, you know? Um, how do I provide a safe space for her? Because that's something that's really important to her. And that's, that doesn't necessarily mean money or anything in particular. There's like a, there's an energy of being a provider and how do I, how do I do that for her so that she feels safe and that so so that she can express herself in her fullness, which then makes me feel like, just like I'm swimming in ecstasy, just like being (laughs) around her feminine energy, you know, so there's a feedback loop. Um, there are, there are tools out there. There are teachers out there. And, you know, I think that's the main thing people need to know is that there are relationship experts out there. There's tools and, you know, you can practice these tools with your partner. A lot of people want to like, I'm going to go over to therapy over here. I'm going to do my stuff. And you go to your therapist over here. You do your stuff. Mm -hmm. But Like, when are you ever going to come together and like do the work to cultivate love and connection between you? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, we'll go to a dance class or something. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. That's great. But like, there are tools that foster intimacy and depth and, um, cultivation of love. And, you know, they're scary because what they involve is vulnerability, but look at Brene's Brown, Brene Brown's work on vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Like that's the ticket to relationships. So guys, gals, If you want to be closer with your partner, more vulnerability is the ticket for both of you. And you kind of both need to do it because you can't just have one person being ultimately vulnerable and then the other person taking the safe space, safe zone. Like it's, it's not fair (laughs) and it doesn't work long-term. Right. And so my wife, Shalina and I, we studied something called conscious relationships for many years. Like right after we started dating, we started going to workshops together, learning about conscious relationships. And there was a lot of stuff in there. There was shadow work. There was like a course in miracles stuff. There was, um, you know, almost like a a free expression, um, acting stuff. There was catharsis. There was breath work. And we studied that for, for years and years and years. And once we found all the tools that really were working for us, um, we put all those into a course so that couples can just watch it together and then go do the exercises. There's about six date nights that you can do where you set aside two to three hours. You watch the video of us telling you about the concept, and then you sit and you practice speaking that with each other. And you can do those over and over again. You could do the course every two months for the rest of your life and just keep practicing those Mm -hmm. tools and you get more and more out of them every time. So, um, and our relationship is not, first of all, we would not be together if it wasn't for these tools. I will say that. I I, I would not have been able to handle this this relationship, its intensity, uh, if it wasn't for these tools and my men's group, for sure. Um, I'm a fairly dominant uh, guy. I, I, I tend, I, I'm kind of like alpha in how I interact with my friends and my real, my real romantic partners. And, um, you know, that could be partially stuff from my childhood, trying to like be heard and all that. My partner is also that way. She's such a queen she's like a leader. And so we smash into each other all the time in that way. Like we're both trying to lead, uh, both trying to dominate, um, which leading and dominating are not the same thing. I won't, <laughs> I don't want to like make those synonymous, but we, we have a lot of conflict. Uh, not, I don't want to say we have a lot of conflict, but like the relationship is not conflict free. And, um, sure. but the, it's our, our motto for our relationship is it's not always easy, but it's always worth it. <laughs> you know, like that's kind of our slogan. Yeah. And so I don't really know where I was going. Oh, and yeah. So basically it's hard. Relationships are hard. No relationships are perfect. We, we still struggle all the time, you know, and we will struggle probably until the mm-hmm. day we die because we're, we're not enlightened people. We're human. We have our shit that comes up. We have our own agendas that we want the other person to fulfill, but we don't say it or what have you. And it's hard to be in a relationship and the just like staying together and staying in love is a miracle. I have to say, you know, it really is but the tools are out there. There are people that are winning at it. And, um, you know, Harville Hendricks and Helen Hendricks are two of our heroes and John and Julie Gottman, the relationship researchers from Seattle are also heroes of ours. They've done so much uh, work with relationships and, and teaching about what works in relationship. And we shared as much of that as we could in the course. And so we called it creating conscious love and, uh, it's on the rising woman website. So you can just Google creating conscious love rising woman. You'll find it.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds great. And it's actually something I've been looking into doing with my partner in the last couple of weeks as well as, yeah, you know, I think so many people wait until there's like a crisis in a relationship to seek tools and trying to be a little bit more proactive seems like a very good move.
1: Totally, yeah. Like we put work into all kinds of other things, right? Like, yeah, diet, working out, maybe even your spiritual connection and your work. Mm-hmm. And and meanwhile, what can happen is we can end up coming to our relationship for relief. So, like, I worked so hard today. I did all of these things, and then we come back together, and it's like, hey, give me pleasure or give me something to sink into and 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 relax into here. That's what that's what we start to treat each other like, and then maybe we both want to de-stress with each other, but we're just kind of like dumping our stress on each other. And so in a way we're like, we're draining energy from the other person. If, if we're not doing that properly, if we're not reconnecting properly. And so you're treating the relationship like a battery, you're both sucking from it. And it it eventually starts to, to go dead, you know, um, but there's a way where you can do relationship maintenance where you're basically your relationship becomes like more like a garden. And you're like planting seeds in there and throwing water on them. And, and you're, you're nurturing them. You're maybe you're singing to them <laughs> if, if that's your thing. And they, and then eventually your garden really just starts to overflow and feed you. And then you can feed other people even maybe from that garden. And I think maybe that's what a family is a good, healthy right. family, right? The parents are overflowing with love and it just flows down to the children rather than like this competition for the limited love that there is. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I think that's what we've tried to do with the course. We've tried to make the course like this overflow of love into, you know, anybody who signs up, um, and us just sharing, like, you know, paying forward the tools that have been given to us.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, I feel like that might be a good spot to, to wrap it up for today. Um, you know, as we were talking about the men's work and you mentioned a couple authors and, uh, King warrior, magician lover, I wonder if you could share like, you know, three to five books on that sort of in that realm that you would recommend to somebody listening?
1: My microphone is sitting on the stack of books. Um, yeah, I would recommend if guys want to read about men's work. Uh, I, I definitely recommend the way of the conscious warrior, which is written by PT Misselberger. Uh, read that, leave a review on Amazon. He's one of my mentors. Um, he started the samurai brotherhood, and, um, I have a lot of respect for him and the work that he's done and how he's carried men's work uh, to my generation. And, uh, yeah, I would love to see his work being just that book, particularly being like right alongside David Data's the way of the superior man. Uh, that's, that's, that's the first book that, uh, was given to me for men's work, uh, by my partner. Uh, you know, she saw that I had a goal of Understanding what masculinity is um, that particular year, which was probably twenty seventeen and sixteen, and uh, she bought me that book. And what a book! That there's part of that parts you on your first read through that book, there will be parts where you're like, "What? What is he talking about?" And I don't even know if I agree with this. And you might be scratching your head. And there's parts in there where you're going to be like, "Wow." This explains so much, you know, and he's, he's drawing on Taoist wisdom, really ancient teachings, and he's making them like accessible to our generation, even though the book was written 30 years ago. It's, uh, it's very applicable. Uh, so the way of the man, the way of the conscious warrior. And yeah, you know, the third one I would say that guys should read is probably King Warrior Magician Lover by, um, Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's really interesting the way they split, like, okay, look at, here's the mature man. Let's split him into four quadrants and see, like, try to conjure these, like, um, these spirits that he's embodying, you know, these gods, maybe you could call them like in the old way, like the, the Greek way. And it's very cool to, to sort of parse these things out and see like, oh, like, you know here's where my king is at in my life and here's where my warrior is at oh and my lover is like dim and you know not even showing up and the warrior seems to be running the show and dominating you know and the king is it's like the warrior's dominating the king that's weird and like if you can really sort of dig into that stuff and start and st- start to see like oh okay here's where here's where i can put these things into their place in my life your your life just Really starts to reformat and come together in a much more um, synchronous or like a properly flowing way. Uh, so I, I definitely um, recommend that book. And for parents and and dads who have sons, definitely, definitely read the Boy Crisis by Warren Farrell. It's a big, thick book, but it's he. It's thick because there's so much going on with boys. And people aren't talking about it much. We just see the consequences of what's going on with boys in the men that we're, um, we're seeing all the problems with, you know, it starts with boys. It starts with fathers and it starts with parenting. So read the boy crisis and understand exactly what it is that affects, that turns boys more towards that, uh, you know, gang criminal dark side and what turns them towards, you know being men of integrity early on in life. Great. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, yeah, thanks again. Thanks again for the work you're doing with the, you know, Samurai Brotherhood. And I've gotten so much out of that personally and courses you've created as well and co-created. So just thank you for what you're doing and sharing with the world and appreciate it.
1: Thanks a lot, brother. It's a pleasure to be on the show and a pleasure to have this conversation with you. And yeah, I hope, I hope people enjoyed it.
2: Thanks.
0: Yeah. Thanks again. Thank you. Yeah. Speak soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode, whether you listen to it on Spotify, Apple, or through our website, it'd be great to hear your feedback and thoughts. If you're able to leave a review, it'll really help us share the message and share the podcast with more people. Thank you.